You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am speaking with Ellie Weinstein. He is a social work therapist who has worked in a psych hospital, intense outpatient clinic, and currently runs his own private practice in New York and Nevada. He's married to his wife, Ariella, and has two beautiful children, Ricky and Max, and lives in sunny Las Vegas. He created Elevation, the Dude Therapist podcast, and became a therapist to fill a need and create a modern outlook on mental health to create a more digestible and relatable view on mental health to help those in struggling times and add some extra inspiration and motivation into everyday life. He's been featured on the Kelly Clarkson show. Oh my goodness. I can't talk today. Kelly Clarkson show, the trauma therapist, mimosas with moms, holding space, breaking taboo therapy thoughts with Tiffany Rowe and on multiple podcasts, ranging from parenting relationships, mental health, and infertility. His main goal is to help people on their journey to add support, care, empathy, expertise, and insights. So Ellie, thank you for being on the show. Welcome to the show. I really have to apologize. I got to shorten my bio. That's too long. I got to make it a little more. A little oh, more no, no, no. I've, I've read much longer. That's a great bio. <laughs> I only stumbled <laughs> once on that one. So yeah, no, I'm so glad that you're on the show. And I think that we're going to have a really great conversation today. Yeah, we are. We're going to have a great time. So tell me, you know, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about the whole concept of connected parenting and how, I think there's a whole group of us trying to do things differently than maybe the way things were done before. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to dig into your thoughts on what was done before. Maybe what were some oversights? What were some things that we didn't do correctly? And how, how can we be better? Yeah. So first I want to start off, like I'm not a big fan of ripping apart old generations and what they did, (laughs) right? Because I think something that I have learned from my parents and my in-laws and my grandparents is that when we, myself and my wife or anyone that I know are quote unquote educating and kind of advising on how we would like our kids to be parented, they just didn't know, right? The research and the knowledge that we have when it comes to parenting is worlds different. So just a step back, it's not their fault. It was just the research of the time. It was just the idea of the time. I mean, it built off of Bowlby, John Bowlby. I think that's his first name. Uh, I just call him Bowlby. That's like the researcher. I was like Bowlby this and Bowlby that <laughs> right. was a behaviorist, right? The idea of a behavior and anal- analyzing a behavior. So if a behavior wants to be adjusted, what do you do? You attack it, you change it, you fight it. Well, we don't kind of do that anymore. We don't look at just the behavior, the the idea of a kid. We look at the understanding of a child and we look at what is creating the behavior, not just the behavior itself. So I don't want to start blaming, right, the parents. But I will say that back in the day, parents were building off the idea of uh, power, right? Power struggle of demanding attention, demanding uh, performance. This is how we do it. No questions asked, no partake of the kid, no understanding the child. What I say goes. End of story. I mean, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. I know Mm -hmm. I have as a kid experienced that kind of parenting and uh, things are changing. Things are adjusting and we'll get into what some of the fears are that a lot of parents have of adjusting to which I see on the daily. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned the power and, and I still, I, and it's hard, right? Because it's like when they're babies, when kids are babies, <laughs> there's a lot you can just change. You can remove them from a situation. You can calm them down different ways. It's that toddler early childhood stage, you know, where it's like all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, I can't just how do, what they have their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. And now what? And so it's better just shut it down. If I can just shut it down, then I'm in control. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I have a three and a half year old and a, and a, and a 10 month old. And it's so funny, the distinction between like my, my 10 month old, I either move something or I move him. Right. Because yeah, he can't <laughs> do that much. He crawls, right. He started to crawl yeah. and he's pretty fast. And uh, which is like whenever he's about to get something that he shouldn't or get into something he shouldn't, you see like he speeds up and then he stops and looks back and smiles. Mm-hmm. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's cute. <laughs> so it's like really hard to be upset at him. But my my three and a half year old, she has a full, she doesn't have a full brain. She has a brain, right? And she's reasoning and she's thinking and she's processing and she's watching and she's analyzing. So it's a lot more tactful. Our parenting has to be more tactful. Um, you know, something recently happened where uh, my, my parents came to visit us out in Vegas for the first time. We got a house. They came to visit. My 95-year-old grandmother came too. It was a beautiful wow. experience. Um, and uh, my daughter wanted to spend time with my father. And it was, quote, unquote, bedtime, right? She's like, Daddy, please, I want to spend, I want, I want to draw with Baba. Mm-hmm. And I had two options. I can either do classic parenting and say, no, Ricky. It's bedtime. We're going to bed. Or I can take the more connected, aware parenting, which is, let me look at the context. What's going on here? My parents are here for a couple of days. My daughter's asking to spend time with my father. My father is willing to play with my daughter. What is five, 10 minutes going to do to her? Nothing. I'm not ruining her life. It's not going to crush her anything. It's not going to make her unhealthy. She's going to be just fine, even great, maybe better, because she had five, 10 minutes with my dad to play. Mm-hmm. So me being intense about bedtime is me, not about her. That's about me saying, no, daddy has rules. You have to go to bed because maybe I want a break. Maybe I want quiet time, whatever the reason is. I want the, the day to end so I can relax. But that's not what parenting is about. It's not about me. So yeah. sometimes we get trapped in that, that, that kind of thing. Like, is it about me or is it about my child? And it wasn't about her. So I said, okay, it wasn't, I said, fine, deal, Rickster. You can have 10 minutes with Baba, but then we're going to go take a bath in bedtime. And you know what she did? Yeah. So it could have been a really harsh, intense situation, or I didn't have to make it that because it wasn't about me. It was about her. Yeah. So that's, that's- the perspective. Oh, absolutely. And, and you mentioned the context, looking at the context of it, I think is really important because there's a lot of times, I mean, gosh, I think about meltdowns and tantrums and things that happen in public and <laughs> like when there are other people around and really it is more about us and our perception of what's going on with our kids and not necessarily, we're not really thinking about their feelings at all. We're thinking about, oh my gosh, how does this look on us as parents? Right? Yeah. Cause you know what? No offense. No one cares that you have a tantrum, that your kid has a tantrum. Like no one's, because you know what? Every parent has experienced their kid having a tantrum. And when someone has a tantrum, when a kid's a tantrum, and we think that everyone's looking at us, 
They're not judging us going, what the heck is wrong with his parents? They're thinking, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for this parent. Yeah, because they know, true. they know the experience. They've been there. And so for me, a lot of times our, re- our, our reaction is, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I need to react and control this child. Mm-hmm. When in reality, we have to take a step back and look at the context, which is very hard to do when your kid's having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. No way is this easy whatsoever. But like, are they hungry? Are they tired? Maybe they had a rough day. I mean, adults have tantrums, maybe not as aggressively, but we get when we're tired, hungry, overwhelmed, underwhelmed, didn't sleep that well, don't feel well. There's so many reasons why your kid might be quote unquote acting out. It doesn't mean they're bad kids. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between a bad kid who behaves inappropriately or is out of, you know, you know, just not doing so great. And a kid who's having a rough day or a rough moment and us reacting and screaming. And let's say (laughs) I call my daughter the Rickster. I call her my little lady. I go, Rickster, stop it. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. I'm not listening to her. Mm -hmm. Remember, a thing that I see a lot of parents do, and I know I'm saying a lot of things at once. So I apologize to anyone who's listening. What I I notice is that when I work with a lot of parents, because I'm a parenting specialist, they're expecting their kid to behave like an older person yeah that's so true. public what are you doing rickster yeah, yeah. she's three and a half mm-hmm. she's tired what do you expect her to do i expect her to act like me what mm-hmm. i'm thir- i'm in my 30s how do i expect a three-year-old to act like me that's that's ridiculous but we do that stop playing with your food she's three and a half i play with my food i mean right. like you know like we have to like pull the reins back on what we expect Versus the reality of context. Yeah, no, that that's good. And and so many things we expect are developmentally inappropriate based on even their brain capacity and brain development, right? It's which is so interesting. I, I think about one of my kids has major texture issues with food. And well, like if he gets the wrong piece of anything, he immediately spits it out onto his plate. Grosses me out to no end because I have texture issues. So I get mad at him, <laughs> but his texture issues are only just fueling my texture issues because now he's got spit up food on his plate, you know? And so it's just that thinking about the way that even from a nervous system perspective, right? Like, I'd love to talk to you about that. Like, how do our nervous systems as parents impact our kids and create this cycle of crazy? Ooh, you're asking the good questions. So what I would say is this, as parents, we need to figure our stuff out, right? And we're never going to be perfect. So I don't want to make that a thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to steal this idea from Dr. Judd Brewer, who, who wrote um, Craving Mind and uh, Unwinding Anxiety, I believe. Mm. Um, and uh, we talk about this. We talked about this idea and I've spoken to him a few times about this idea of curiosity and awareness as a key to anxiety. When we become aware of our triggers or aware of what sets us off or aware of where we're at, we're able to take action. We're able to take care of ourselves. So if I know that uh, I'll tell you a weird example when uh, my daughter was younger and I don't know if anyone listening has had this experience with their children when they get upset they go like limp noodle with no bones <laughs> they go like no I can't walk right and they fall on the ground right and they become dead weight my wife would get so frazzled when my daughter would do that she'd be like Ellie I can't you gotta take over and I did okay um there was one time where my daughter a few times where my wife left for work 
and uh, she had a massive meltdown. No joke. I timed it for 45 minutes one time, an hour for now, just screaming at me that mommy wasn't home. And I knew that that overwhelms me because I think that overwhelms anyone when you <laughs> can't do anything to help. You can't do anything to change the reality because the reality is mommy's not home. You can get very frazzled. And when you get frazzled, you're then going to react versus behave in a way that is appropriate as a parent. So I walked away for 10 minutes, took a breath in another room. She was safe in the room that she was in and came back and parented. Awareness helps us learn to ask for help, learn to step away, learn what our patterns are. And then if we do act on our anxiety or overwhelmed or, or whatever feeling stress, we're then aware that we need to apologize if we do not behave appropriately. And that, by the way, is not just for your kids. I'm talking about that's for your partner, that's to your friends, to your coworkers, to anyone. That if you are aware of what's going on, you then can take actions to help and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a huge piece, but also that's not something that we were taught, right? Is how to emotionally regulate and, and notice and be self-aware on any capacity because we just, you know, blaze on forward. And I think many people develop these, not necessarily overachieving or um, solutions. I, I would say, yes, yeah, certain kind of solutions, behaviors, whatever that keeps us just blazing forward. So you don't have to be self-aware because that's uncomfortable. So how, how can parents create more awareness of, of their own triggers in that way? Yeah. And I, I will say that a lot of the people who let's say grew up in the eighties and nineties, um, the style was stop it, suck it up, deal with it. Right. right? The most, or, 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 uh, you know, stop crying, stop whining, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. get over it, deal with it, grow up. Right. Those are like the common things that we were told. So if that's the case of like, again, not blaming anyone of that generation, if that's the message we're hearing, how are we supposed to learn how to deal with our stuff? If we're told to push it aside, don't look at it, don't see it, don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, one I would say is go to therapy. I'm not just doing a plug because I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. I have so many people that come to me and they're like, I've never actually spoken about feelings before. How Gosh. do I start? Yeah. Or I don't know who I really am because I've been hiding my true self and now it's coming out and I'm in my 30s and 40s and it's freaking me mm -hmm. out a little bit because I've never seen this part of me, mm -hmm. right? So if you're feeling overwhelmed by this insight or awareness or consciousness that you're now coming to about yourself, talk to somebody. Hmm. The second thing is start small. Just start learning about emotions and feelings. There are now I'm a big library person. I read so much. I buy books because I tab them and write in them and like have this whole system that I never keep to and just read a lot. Um, there's so many books on emotions, how emotions are made, where emotions come from, how to feel emotions, what words we use for our emotions, all these kind of things to learn about ourselves. If we start learning about ourselves, we can be better people. Let's stop with the parenting for a second, but just be better people for ourselves. We're better people for ourselves. We can come to terms with who we are and be better parents, be better partners. And yes, at some point when let's say your kids are 18, 20s and 30s, and you finally start becoming a better person for you, you still have an opportunity to apologize and mm. repair. It's not over. Just because you might have made mistakes, like every freaking parent on this planet, planet right. right? No one's perfect. I don't care. I'm a specialist in parenting and I don't do a great job every day. 
because kids are hard. It's a challenge. I got my own stuff. I got my own stress. I got my own emotions, my own things. And sometimes I'm not on my best and that's okay. Yeah. But how do I repair? Right. How do I create an environment for my kids to feel safe, secure, and seen? Right. If you look at the authors and the writings and the research by Dr. Tina Bryson and Dan Siegel, who are the whole brain child, which is like an iconic, if you have to read one book on parenting, whole brain child to understand your kid and no drama discipline on how to talk to your kids. It is so down to earth. It's not above you. I promise it's not intellectualized. It is a normal written book. And they're pretty accessible human beings. Dr. Tina Bryson is pretty accessible on social media and she's a pretty cool person uh, and pretty nice. Um, It's all about connecting and creating a safe, secure, and seen environment. Mm. Safety is physical. Secure is emotional. And and seen is respect, right? I see you as a person and I'm going to treat you as a person because you matter and I care about you. If you can create that environment, more often than not, you're doing a great job as a parent. Mm. That doesn't yeah. mean extracurriculars. We're not talking about, you know, crazy riches and money and presents and gifts. We're talking about the environment of a home. Is it filled with love? That's security, right? Emotional security, safety, physical security, and being seen. That means spending time with your kids, hanging out with your kids, seeing your kids, talking to them, showing up for your kids, all those things. That's what helps your kids grow up to be the adult we want them to be, yeah. not the other garbage that you think it is. It's not about, you know, the perfect meals. It's not about all the, (laughs) uh, you know, perfect trips and vacations or Mm -hmm. the perfect home. Like, the you know, with every, you know, fun thing and every trip and every Sunday has to be. No, no, it's okay. Just it's the environment that you create in the home. And if you do that more often than not, I promise you, you are doing an amazing job as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super encouraging for people to hear because I I think, you know, there are so many we just have more voices out there than we used to, you know, making us feel like, oh, we didn't do this right or didn't do that right. Or, you know, um, like, like I, I said to you before we started recording, I have kids that are, you know, have big age gaps of 10 years and 12 years. And so I was a very different parent in my mid twenties, early thirties than I am now in my early forties. Um, it's just, and a lot of that's because of me and the healing I had to do. Um, but I did the best that I could at the time, regardless. And I think that's what people need to hear. And I think that that's really helpful the way that you were breaking that down. Well, I think that's the biggest thing is we have to be more compassionate to ourselves mm-hmm. as parents. I remember, and I say this, I say this story often when I get asked about parenting, because it really shook me as a parent when COVID first started um, and all the, and TikTok started exploding, right? And all these videos were coming out of all these um, quote unquote, amazing things that parents were doing for the kids. <laughs> right. I saw like an escape the room of like a mission impossible. Like they took red, red string and put it around the house. So you had to like pretend there were lasers and not touch everything. And, you know, it made a lot of parents feel like they were less than because other parents were doing these very cool things. We have no idea what the status of those parents are, their wealth, their mm-hmm. access to jobs, how much money they make, Right how much free time they have or maybe they did this once and just took a video of it and that was it and it took months to plan right we have no idea what goes on to video but with social media and the platform people post the perfect of their life mm-hmm. the curated of their life they do not post the picture or the video of their kid vomiting and pooping on the floor <laughs> screaming and yelling at you at four o'clock in the morning this happened to me my daughter screamed at me a couple of weeks ago 
that it was light outside and time to get up when it was pitch black outside and I showed her and she would not believe me, right? No one talks about that. I do often because I don't want there to be this idea that the parenting is all fun and games. Three weeks ago, my daughter, my, my daughter, my son, and my wife had the flu. All had fevers. I was the only lone survivor. It was a crazy, hectic week. No one posts about that. Mm-hmm. Right. So don't don't get tricked into this idea that every parent that posts online with their perfect meal and their matching outfits with their kids and the wonderful outings and perfectly the kids hair is done and their face isn't dirty and their clothes are all, you know, uh, matte and, and, and nice and, and clean. But that's what every day is like. I recently mm-hmm. just saw a, vid- a picture of an influencer that I follow. It was like a body image specialist and stuff like that. She posted a picture a beautiful picture of herself and a beautiful outfit and, you know, and then a picture right afterwards was her in sweatpants and sweatshirt. She literally got dressed <laughs> just for the picture and showed. I just got dressed just to make this picture. So just be careful what you're taking in. Mm-hmm. Don't be fooled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not reality. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think and it's, but we're so inundated with, with oh, these so other voices. It's, it's easy to think like we, it, we create stories in our heads, right? About ourselves, about the world around us. And a lot of it is based on these perceptions that may or may not be true at all. So, And that's, and that's, by the way, for us too, like we have some expectations and perceptions of ourselves that we feel we need to live up to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I mean by is when you're i'm making a very general statement here when your parents when you were growing up and your parents were telling you that to be a good parent you have to do this and you must do this and you have to act like this and you have to do this for your kids you are living within that perception right you're living within that expectation that has been created for you or your friends who had kids before you are doing certain things and, and they're like, oh, this is the best way to, you know, get your kid to sleep. This is the best way to <laughs> feed your kid. You got to find what works for you and your partner. Yeah, ha- that's, that's all that matters. Take in the information, read, watch, perceive, become curious, and then make your decision. I don't care if you go to a parenting specialist like myself and talk to me for hours and hours throughout months and months of your life. You still need to do what works for you, no matter who tells you what. So... Do what works for you and your family, you know, whether it's dinner time, whether it's, you know, my wife is a dietitian and she loves to make home cooked meals. She doesn't like doing frozen foods. If that doesn't work for you, heat up the frozen chicken nuggets and feed it to your kids so they're happy. (laughs) I mean, come on, have standards for yourself that there's, I will not pass this line that I have made for myself and everything below that is amazing. Everything above that extra right? How much clothes you have, right? How much, you know, outfits your kid wears. If your kid repeats an outfit once a week because it's their favorite outfit, who gives a flying hoot? Your kid's happy, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what it's about. It's not about you, but you make those rules. No one else. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that goes back to being self-aware and creating awareness. And when you know who you are, (laughs) then it's a lot easier to have these things in place and, and create things that match who you are and what you want, you know? And, and I think that that's something that, you know, you mentioned, you've talked about being on the same team with your partner. And I think that's huge. So what about, how do you handle parenting issues when there are disagreements between the partners as to, you know, whether it's mealtime or activities or bedtime or, 
you know, there's a lot that, that gets messy there. Um, what's, what's the best way to establish better communication to make a parenting team? That's, that's a good way to ask that question. Oh, I love that. Uh, so I want to just back up for a second about the idea of some of the myths um, and about this parenting style that I'm talking about and how to, and how, and sometimes why some parents don't see eye to eye on this idea, yeah. right? So we're not talking about permissiveness. This is not a doormat mentality where your kids are controlling every environment, <laughs> right? We are not saying you say yes to everything just because, well, the context, my kid is screaming and blah, blah, so I'm going to say yes because that, that, that just helps me. No, 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 no. You are still a parent. We are still educating and disciplining our kids. It is just more conscious, aware, and kind. Yeah. We're just being more compassionate as parents. We're not screaming and yelling as much. We're talking to them and we're talking with them. I'm getting on my kid's level literally and saying, hey, what's going on, babe? Talk to me. Listen to them. And it might not make sense because they're babbling three-year-olds. But at least they're being listened to, right? We are not saying yes to everything just because. We are saying yes when it matters and when we're aware that it is the important thing to do is yes. And we still say no, right? If my daughter, for some reason, she's gotten really hooked on fruit by the foot and Oreos. <laughs> and she, in the morning, wakes up and the second she goes, Daddy, can I have fruit by the foot? And I go, nope, it's we don't have fruit by the foot in the morning. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to have food and maybe in the afternoon we can have one. Oh man. Right. I said, no, daddy, I want to do this. Nope. Sorry. I hear, right. We're validating, which is something that we did not learn growing up. I hear, Hey, little lady, I hear that you want to watch more TV, but we watched enough today. It's time to go play or it's time to go to bed. And then if the, if there's pushback, you set the boundaries as parents, you are you are not the law, right? There's a difference. You're not the law. You are the one who is keeping the status quo and a calm, collected, secure environment, which includes routine, consistency, and compassion. We're not here to be the law and be like, well, I said it, so shut up and go to bed. No, it's just routine. Your kid needs to go to sleep because they're tired. So saying yes and no depends on your kid. It's not about just saying yes to everything. So a lot of parents push back on that. Well, if we become conscious or quote unquote aware parenting, we're just going to let them do whatever they want. Right. No, I've heard my that. My daughter mm -hmm. does not do whatever the heck she wants. <laughs> so for example, I make a facade of choice. I will pick two things for her to eat. She chooses between the two, but I pick two of them. She does not get to go in the fridge and do whatever the heck she wants. It goes, I want, you know, steak and fries or whatever, you know, Sorry, we don't have. And then a tantrum. No, here's what we have, baby. We have this and that for dinner. Choose. So she feels empowered. She feels independent. And she's not walking all over the house. When we start doing permissive parents, we have kids that become bratty. We have kids that become entitled. And kids that control the household. And our mm -hmm. kids are not controlling the household. Because they're little kids. They don't know what the heck they're doing. And sometimes we even don't know, know what we're doing. So... Now that being said, right, the myth is that permissiveness. Oh, no, we're going to say yes. A lot of parents are afraid of that. So how do we have open communication with our partner? It's actually understanding what you mean by the parenting style that you want to do. 
whenever we're talking to our partner, we need to be clear and concise about a plan, not just, I want to be more aware of our kid. Uh, what, what does that mean? Um, right. Does that mean no more timeouts? Does that mean no more, you know, uh, hitting, potching, you know, reprimanding? Does that mean, you know, we don't send them to their room? Does that mean we don't take away phone? What does that mean? Talk it out with your partner exactly what you want out of the deal. Once they're aware of what you actually mean, most parents are not fully against the idea. A lot of times parents get defensive about changing their parenting habits because they don't know what you are expecting or what you mean by this newer connected parenting. Yeah. Also, some parents really just don't want to do it because they'd rather be the law and aggressor. And if that's the case, that's something that really needs to be discussed before you have kids. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's something we really discussed when you're pregnant, really discussed when the kid is a baby. How do you feel you want to parent? Are you smacking your kid? Are you yelling and screaming and hollering to send them to their room every five seconds? Does that work for you? Does it not work for you? How do you come in between? And if you need help talking to someone, go to a couples therapist and have learned better communication to listen and work through parenting. It doesn't have to be forever, just for a couple of sessions to work it out a kink. So talk it out and be clear and concise about what you want and expect. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And it's it's so interesting because you know, you mentioned I think it's easier, we'll say it this way, it's easier to shut things down than to actually have to deal with kids' feelings. I mean, as parents, our feelings are hard enough to deal with, right? As adults who may or may not have learned to deal with feelings early on, that's hard enough to deal with. And now you have to deal with these little people's feelings, you know, and, and they're big feelings. Like I have my youngest, I mean, I thought by child three, I had things down, but man, this kid feels big feelings and I want him to be a person who feels big feelings. I want him to be sensitive. I want him to be caring and have empathy, but it's hard in the moment, you know? And I would, there are so many days I would much rather just eh, shut it down. Just stop, just stop crying, <laughs> you know, but that doesn't do anything. So how do we support these kids who maybe are more sensitive than other kids? Because they do have big feelings that mm -hmm. not the best thing to shut down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard, right? When our kids are sensitive and, and shutting things down, we have to be like, we have to listen to them. Right. So, you know, I, I was a sensitive kid growing up. I have ADHD and I'm learning through my own therapy that I am considered a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. There's a new style of that, a new understanding. Um, it's that they are stimulus. They're being stimulated in ways that, that, quote unquote, people who aren't as sensitive are not small vocal tones, noises, mm -hmm. facial expressions, body language. It's all coming in at once and it can be very overwhelming. So that's why I suggest understanding why the behavior, not just the behavior, right? Because behavior is just an external showing of what's going on inside. Your kid just might be really overwhelmed. Just a really overwhelmed state because it's just a lot, which maybe means you add more quiet time, more reading, more alone time, less stimulus. 
but you got to be aware of your kid and pay attention. You are the forefront of watching your kids and knowing them. No one else. When I hear a parent talk with a teacher, the teacher knows more about the kid than the parent does. There's a problem there. You see your kid every day. So does a teacher, but you see your kid in the morning, at night, every day. It doesn't mean kids won't tell the teacher something that they won't tell you, and that's fine. But you should know your kids better than anyone else because you're watching, you're aware, you're paying attention, and you're showing up. And that takes a lot of consistent work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that you made a really good point. And I, I am a former teacher. And so I appreciate you throwing that out there because I, as a parent and as a teacher, I would say, parents, your instinct is always going to be stronger than anybody else's about, about your own kid, you know? And I think a lot of times we do kind of want to make the experts in education, the experts on our individual kids. And I've seen lots of things missed that way. And I think that that you're right. It's important to tune into the individual needs of your individual child. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, you mentioned, sorry, I'm going all over the place. You said so many good things there. I'm like, oh, which one do I want to touch on? Um, but really just that overwhelm. Our kids are, I think we do have a growing group of kids who are probably going to be more highly sensitive than in the past due to I mean, first of all, we have the pandemic and all that that caused for kids and disruption of life. But then we have, you know, screens everywhere and the video games and not as much outside time, not as much nature time, you know, all of that, that it, there is a sensory overload, I think, for kids and the ones that are more sensitive than others pick up on that. And it does result in behavior issues leading to maybe a diagnosis or maybe, you know, like, let's do this plan with this specialist. And when, what if it is just this? overly stimulated, highly sensitive system. I mean, where do you, where do you fall on that? Especially when we're dealing with kids with, with these labels of ADHD and, and ODD and OCD and how much of that has to do with being overstimulated. Yeah. So my, my personal, my, my, not my personal opinion, my, my therapeutic opinion really about diagnosis is uh, kind of controversial to the therapeutic world, <laughs> not in a bad way. Don't worry. But, uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of diagnosis to a point. Um, I think that the world we live in today is so heavily reliant on diagnosis um, to define things that we lose sight of what actually is happening. So I say this to my clients all the time. I could care less what title you have for the reasons you come here. What are the symptoms? How is it affecting you? How are you functioning? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Okay, so... You have anxiety, you have ADHD, you have OCD, ODD, schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever name you want to put on whatever you're struggling with. We got to do that for billing purposes for insurance. There has to be a <laughs> <Right>. medical necessity, <laughs> which I think really harms being gets defined then by the diagnosis. But there are plenty of kids who are just overactive and very energetic who don't have ADHD, but they're trouble at school. So school needs a diagnosis so they get an IEP so they can get handled, right? It's about handling a kid not helping a kid. A lot of times mm. in school, it's about how do we handle this bad kid? The kid's not yeah. bad. They just don't fit into the confines of a classroom. Yeah. Right? I had a lot of energy growing up as a kid. My teachers, you say, I was dancing and singing all the time. <laughs> you know, I, I passed top of my class in my grad school. I didn't fit in the confines of a regular, you know, elementary, middle school mentality of sitting for hours learning math and spelling. 
because I did not care. When I cared, I did pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. But isn't that everyone, right? Not everyone fits into the confines of the of the box of school. It doesn't mean they have a bad attitude or a terrible behavior. And a lot of times those kids get pushed to the side and forgotten. Either the really bad kids get a lot of attention or the kids that are really good get, you know, a lot of attention. But the kids who just struggle here and there and don't fit in the box get lost. And the kids who are really bad behavior get punished for not listening, for having too much energy, not dis- and disrupting a class and they're not trying to be disruptive. I'm not talking about a kid who burns a school down or like has legitimate anger behavior issues hurting people. I'm talking about a kid who can't sit still, right? So ADHD has its, if it's legitimate, get the help you need. Take medication if that helps. If not, get the help you need. Get your kids an extra curricular to get the energy out. ODD and cognitive disorder are behavioral issues that are really aggressive. It's someone who is aggressive to authority and, and is very um, destructive. They need real help. I really hope a kid is not diagnosed with OCD, um, but uh, that's pretty pretty out there thing for a little kid to be diagnosed with that. Um, but that's anxiety. OCD is an anxiety, mm-hmm. subcategory anxiety. So when it comes to treating people and taking care of people, uh, diagnosis helps give context. It does not define a person. Yeah, that's my opinion on diagnostics. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, I, and I think that that's important. I think. As parents, you know, I know a lot of parents listening to this probably have been through, you know, the IEP 504, whatever it is each state has that determines how to get support from the school system. And I think it gets tricky because that's where the kid develops an identity based on what this label they're, they've been given says about them. And so I think that that's, um, I think that that's really helpful for parents to remember to look beyond what the label is and look at, like you said at the very beginning, the context and look at what does this kid need? What, what is going on in this individual situation and, and how to support that? I think that that's helpful. We are in a world of labels and diagnoses um, and and not a lot of, as I, from my opinion, not as many practical solutions um, until we have like your podcast and my podcast and your work and all of these people that are trying to bring awareness to connected parenting and nervous system. I think that's where we're starting to see things move. And I'm really, really hopeful about that because I think that a lot lies in learning that emotional regulation. So um, with that, I do want to ask you my very favorite question to ask. And the the name of the show is Sparking Wholeness. So if you could give advice to spark somebody toward wholeness, just one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Start by listening to yourself. When I talked about before, take more care for ourselves and listen to ourselves and be more compassionate with ourselves. And we start doing that. We start picking up on the BS of the world and the BS of other people that have been weighing us down or holding us back from our realities, our dreams, our hopes. And when we start doing that, we start caring about ourselves, be more compassionate. We start making decisions that are in line with what we want, what we need, and where we want to go. Sometimes people don't like that, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Start, start focusing on yourself, taking care of yourself, being compassionate yourself. The second thing I would say is shoot your shot. Send that email that you've been waiting to send that you're afraid of. Text that person or call that person, that old uh, flame that you haven't reached out to in a while. Say something to your partner that you've been waiting to say for the perfect time. Stop waiting. 
be more compassionate with yourself and start shooting your shot because then things will align a lot better. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so helpful. This has been such a good conversation. So where can people follow you, listen to your podcast and, and all those details? For sure. My podcast is called The Dude Therapist. It's because I'm a dude who happens to be a therapist. I love that title. Who happens to be a dude, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, it's on mental health topics, relationships, parenting, and everything in between. It's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere. Um, my website is elliweinsteinlcsw.com. My Instagram, elliweinstein underscore lcsw. Um, and I'm getting my calendar ready for 2023 for speaking gigs, speaking opportunities, and things of that nature. So if you want me to come out to your organization, your company, your town, um, please reach out. I'm more than happy to fly, drive, travel anywhere you'd like me. Yeah, I, I love it. This has been so good. And I, I really love that podcast name, The Dude Therapist. So funny story, I didn't tell you, my husband's actually a therapist as well. So <laughs> it's always fun listening to and speaking with other dude therapists, because I think you offer a unique perspective. There's not many of you out there and we need you. So um, I appreciate your voice and what you're doing. Um, it's very important work for sure. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you again for being on the show. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.